All right, welcome to. <laughs> do you have a quote? And do I have a quote? Of course, I have a quote. You always have a quote. What is it going to be? The quote is well, well, first and foremost, Ian, very welcome uh, down here to West Cork in the, the middle of absolutely nowhere, spooky <laughs> West Cork. It is spooky. Our isolation uh, yeah. is, is spooking me out here. It was uh, raining today. The, the trees were shaking. Mm, and more. isn't there a local story about shaking trees, Chris? Oh, yeah, well, <laughs> you got to wait for that one. Wait, is <laughs> it's a roller coaster. <laughs> File that one away for <laughs> as a As a creepy old man in a, a 1980s horror movie might say, we don't get many visitors around here. So thank you for coming down all the way down here to uh, Clonakilty in West Cork, where we're going to get started with our Halloween par- podcast. So I'm Keen. I'm Chris. You're listening to the Off the Wagon Halloween special. We have been uh, going around bothering all our friends and relations for spooky stories over the last few weeks. That's right. That's right. We've gotten a few. We've gotten a few creepy ones yeah, from us for people you. People have been good enough to uh, supply us with allegedly true happenings of weirdness. Allegedly. Allegedly. Well, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll find out more about that as we get into the... What was that? Whoa, what was that? That was a, a soundboard. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, we're, we're actually sitting around a, a campfire here. A roaring campfire. That's right. Perfect place to tell spooky stories. Yeah, and um, we heard a few uh, rustlings in the bushes recently. Uh, Hopefully not one of the locals. Yeah, hopefully we won't be. (laughs) (laughs) We won't be disturbed by anyone tonight. Uh, We're we're disturbed enough as it is after (laughs) listening to all these scary stories. Hopefully we won't be disturbed by any restless spirits either. (laughs) (laughs) All right. There's a few spirits in the cupboard downstairs. Is there anything that like really spooked you out when you were a kid? There is anything that yeah, creepy. There is. When I was really small, I had a nightmare that um, a ghost who looked like Michael Jackson was coming out of the wall <laughs> next to my bed. And when I was a kid, I had bunk beds with my brother, and I was on the lower one, so they're always kind of a bit shadowy and dark, you know, under there. And in my dream, this this kind of spectral figure who looked like something out of Ghostbusters, like he, you know, he was see through and he could go through walls. But he had long hair and a really white face. And for some reason, as a kid, I identified this with some Michael Jackson video from that period. <laughs> I Don't ask me why. It must have been, like, probably about the period of, you know, the black or white video is what I'm thinking of. Yeah, yeah. Remember with all the morphing faces? Oh, yeah, yeah, that was... Which is creepy enough. Yeah, creepy already. enough as it is. So I was terrified of that for literally for years. I, would, I was afraid to, like, fall asleep facing the wall. I would always roll to the other direction. Oh man! Yeah, and, and this is because of a, a dream you had. Because you of a nightmare, yeah. You didn't actually see this. Spectre. I know this is not something I can. But I, I collected ghost books when I was a kid, and I was obsessed with them. And I like. I remember reading this one about a haunted house in England. Now, supposedly, the most haunted house in England was was a place called Borley Rectory, and it's haunted by a phantom nun. Mm. And I read this. I remember I bought this book as a kid, and I was reading it in my house, like in the middle of the afternoon. And by the time I finished reading the chapter about the ghostly nun, like I was literally afraid to like look up and look out the window into the garden in case she was, like, standing there. Oh, no. Yeah, even in the afternoon. So I remember, like, even from a young age, I was very uh, affected by uh, spooky stories about ghosts. Whoa. I was uh, 
pretty terrified myself as a kid of one particular thing that my sister would like. My sister was crazy about this TV show, but the, the opening sequence to, to the X-Files scared the living daylights out of me. Uh, when, when that guy in the... My sister used to say it was a, a lost soul. Mm-hmm. Ah, no, I pressed the same one again. <laughs> wait, wait, we, we have a lost soul here somewhere. <laughs> Is that the kind of purpley, stretchy face? That's right, yeah. And uh, there was also like a like a kind of a white, ghostly figure that was kind of oh, swaying. Oh, yeah, like a, like a classic white shrouded ghost. That's right, right. And uh, it was kind of like, like walking into the background. Yeah. Early 90s spookiness. That's right. 90s. Oh, 96, wasn't it? Nin- 90s, 93. 93, wow. That's right, yeah. I only know that because I started watching the, the first season last night for it's the good. first time. I yeah. like the first season. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm going to drive on with it. They're all on Netflix now, aren't they? Uh, Maybe you're yeah. watching it some other way. <laughs> I'm watching it some other way, and <laughs> that's uh, completely confidential. It's an X-File in itself <laughs> as to how I got my hands on these episodes. So I did consider introducing us as special agents, Chris and Kean. But, you know, we went to the campfire theme instead. Yeah. So yeah. pull yourself up a chair and get yourself some warm cocoa. That's right. <laughs> so, shall we get started on our stories? Let us get started. I, I think you have a bit of a, a chiller. I have a bit of a chiller. So most of our stories uh, are coming from people uh, in the Cork area. And this one is from a Cork man, though it happens somewhere far away. This first story is set in Singapore. Now, most of the people in the stories, I have decided not to identify them, so I've removed names or obvious places from them, uh, just so that, uh, you know, there's a bit of confidentiality involved. But this story came from a friend of ours who is an IT person, and he spent many years working in Singapore, Southeast Asia. And he's a guy I trust. I take him seriously. He, uh, you know, he's not the kind of person who tells crazy stories for attention, he never, in fact, told me this story until he found out that I was actively searching for creepy stories. So he's not the kind of guy who goes, you know, showing up, telling these mad stories just to get attention. So, you know, I would take him seriously if he tells me something. Well, does he, does he not work in an industry that is known for telling a few tall tales? IT. Yeah. Oh, like working at computers. Oh, I must have the wrong guy, actually. Oh, yes, okay. <laughs> you, you've protected your source as well, Agent that, Gill. That's good to hear now. <laughs> Anyone who does know me, I don't think there'll be any uh, doubt about who this guy is. <laughs> All right. Being as he, he's a computer Consider guy who I worked in Singapore. <laughs> I don't even know who the guy is. <laughs> so, he, his tale begins... Apart from a disembodied black head which screamed at me in my attic a few years ago, unverifiable. <laughs> yeah. So that that's a bit of a bit of a dramatic touch there. At the beginning. So uh, my, con- my he he gives us no additional details about that, but the story begins properly. Some years ago, when I lived in Singapore, I was minding the flatmate's daughter, aged about three or four. She was throwing a wobbler, and I was trying to reason with her in what bit of Indonesian I had. Anyway, to cool her down, I decided to take her for a walk around the neighborhood, holding her in my arms. As we hoofed it about, she asked me, Uncle, what is wrong with that little girl over there? And she was pointing to a tall wall outside a Japanese primary school. Now, there was nobody there, so we approached the wall to see what she was on about. There was a little memorial sign there in Japanese and English, 
detailing an event some years ago in which a young girl was knocked down and killed on that spot. Now, according to the girl's parents, at their previous apartment where they lived, the little girl would sometimes get very upset having seen a shadow walk through the living room to the balcony and proceed to jump from it. Now, just so you know, Singapore is a small island with a relatively large population and most of them live in in apartments in high-rise buildings. Mm-hmm. So that kind of makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty creepy, it's especially considering the, the prevalence of, um, I suppose, Asian children in, in modern horror movies. Is Yeah. Uh, the idea of that is... <laughs> You're probably thinking of things like The Ring and... That's right. The Grudge. The Grudge, yeah, both of which scared the living <laughs> crap out of me. Well, I was reading about that recently. There is a reason for that image being popular in Japanese horror movies, at oh, least. Yeah? Which, yeah, there is Japanese folklore that existed, you know, for a long time, uh, specifically about certain kinds of goats or demons who are the returning form of young women who were killed or murdered by their spouse. Ooh. And they, it's something to do with the way they were buried, that they always appear in, in white, you know, with the long hair and the you know, spooky eyes and stuff. Ooh. So there is a bit of cultural context for that. That's uh, that's pretty noid-worthy, as we say around here. Give me the noids. The paranoids. The paranoids. <laughs> Chris, do you have a ghost story for us? Yes, indeed, I do have a ghost story for you. This one... Uh, is coming in from a long-time friend of mine. Now, I wouldn't have thought this person would have been uh, believing of the, the supernatural at all, but she comes in with a, like a pretty creepy story. So she she li- she's living in a house next to a river. Uh, will, will I just read it for verbatim for what she says here? She comes in with a spooky story. So the house I'm living in from where I sit on my couch, the mirror over the fireplace reflects my hallway, and the sitting room door is an old one with glass pa- panels, and two of them are missing due to kids' tempers. She says in the inverted bracket. So you can see through. Uh, you can see through to the hall from from where you're sitting in, in next to the fireplace there. So no, most nights when I'm sitting there, I see someone walk past and look in. I see this in the mirror. Ooh. First few times I told myself it's just my mind or my eyes playing tricks on, on me and, and or, or the shadows or something like that. But she said, I'm, I'm living here for almost three years now and it's a regular enough thing that I fully believe it, it's exactly what it appears to be. Plus, she has a, a, a three-year-old uh, a kid there uh, called Jack uh, who talks about his friend John who kicks his bed when he's sleeping. Whoa. And uh, he told us that John told him he got on a boat with his mom and his friend, and the boat crashed. Like, I asked him one day what happened to his mom, and Jack paused and thought. He asked me to wait two minutes, ran down to his bedroom, crouched down under his bed, and starting to talking to what must have been John. Oh no! Amazingly, she says, none of this freaks me out, but it probably should. And she says. Um, she says, I, I know it's uh, mental, but Jack's dad can't talk about the John thing at all. Because it freaks him out too much. And, uh, yeah, so that's, uh, that's where it ends there. If, if, if I was sitting in my, my sitting room and I, I was looking in the mirror and I saw something moving in the background. That's weird. 
Yeah, yeah. I. No. Are you? Are you? Like. I'm trying to think. What's the name of the kid's imaginary friend in The Exorcist? Oh, oh Captain Howdy. It's a bit of a Captain Howdy situation. Maybe it's Captain John. Captain John. (laughs) There's a lot of... I've been reading actual scientific papers over the last few weeks, or at least I've been scanning them, about kids and their imaginary friends and why psychologists think that this is a common thing. You Mm -hmm. know, there's a little bit that is understood about maybe what's going on psychologically, but it's it's pretty common, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Um... I mean, I, I've heard many a, a tale about uh, young kids having their, their friends, and um, is, there, is there one coming up, actually? Where I, I, I actually, well, yeah, I do have another story that involves a kid uh, and an imaginary, well, possibly a kid seeing something. I mean, the first story about Singapore involved a kid seeing something that other people couldn't see. Mm-hmm. So that's a common, it's a common thing in, in old ghost stories as well. So my, my next story is about a friend of ours, and this is happening in Cork. This is happening near UCC, in fact. So this story was brought in to me by a friend of ours from school, and it, it is supposedly happened to her mother-in-law. So this story happens around Cork City, and it says that her husband's mother, Julia, was, in, was studying uh, and living near UCC, University College Cork, in, in the centre of town. And at the time, she was living in a house on College Road, uh, close to the now accommodations office. So if you know the area, you might have a rough idea as to where this is happening. Now, Julia shared a room with three or four other girls right at the tip-top of the house in the attic. She now says, poor students in the 70s. Uh, She used to sleep in the top of one of the bunk beds in the room. But one night, she couldn't sleep properly. She was restless and felt a pressure on her throat. She woke a few times gasping for air, feeling like she couldn't breathe. Later that night, she woke to a shrill scream from one of the other girls in the room. (laughs) This girl slept in the bed across from her. She was sitting bolt upright in the bed, staring and pointing at Julia. She didn't say a word, but was pale white and terrified. She wouldn't say why she was so scared. But the next day, she eventually revealed to Julia that what had terrified her so was nothing less than a headless figure slowly approaching Julia's bed from the corner of a room I, I during the night. Up my back. <laughs> it was at the point when the figure was choking Julia that the roommate screamed. All the girls except Julia moved out shortly after this, explaining to the landlord what had happened. That, yeah, he, basically, the landlord said that he would never—he knew it was haunted and he wouldn't ever sleep there. That was the end of it. That was giving me... <laughs> Serious uh, spooky chills up in the back of the spine there now. Now, like, it is probably worth mentioning at the moment, like, I'm a bit of a, a skeptic, but that, that that doesn't mean that I don't get scared crapless in, in certain occasions. If I'm on my own in my house and I look into, a, like, a, a black window and it kind of, like, I see shadows in the background, I'm, I'm terrified, you know, but I, I'm, I'm still, like... Bit of a skeptic. How about you? Are are you? The, the touch about it being like a headless ghost—that's kind of a bit. That's yeah. a bit much for me. It makes me think like, you know, that's like something you'd see in a really old-fashioned ghost story. Now, here's the thing. I'm not saying I'm a I'm a skeptic of that story in particular. Yeah. In, in general, with all like ghostly supernatural stuff, I'm I'm just a bit of a like. Sure. I I need something to happen to me. Yeah, me too. I'm yeah. Like, I mean, I would be interested to experience something myself, but I haven't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
in in this story, there is a hint of something that has happened to me, though. So when when she wakes up in the story and she feels like she can't breathe and something is choking her or holding her down, now that's something that is real for sure. That's called mm. sleep paralysis. Mm-hmm. It's happened to me maybe twice ever. It's where people, it's basically you have a, a system in your brain to stop you from acting out your dreams. So it actually oh. stops your body from moving while your brain is still active when you're dreaming. Mm-hmm. So. Have you ever seen a dog dreaming and they're like moving their legs? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like they're chasing a cat or something. Your brain shuts down most of your systems to stop you from doing that. When people have problems with that, it's when you get like sleepwalking and stuff. Yeah, I've 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 experienced sleep paralysis. And it's also known as something called the hag. Yeah, the old hag. It feels like there's somebody like sitting on your legs and you can't yes. move anywhere. Or your chest. Yeah, it's it's absolutely. Anyone who's gone through it will know it's absolutely petrifying. It's horrible. It's it's terrible, and no matter how many times it happens, you don't really get used to it. I find, and like, uh, yeah, it's it's happened a good few times to me. Wow. And uh, now, this this does sound like an occurrence of the hag, but still, I mean, appreciate. Her for sending in, in, in the story. Well, the fact that someone else reportedly saw something. Yeah. That adds an extra element. Because if you have sleep paralysis, basically what's happening is that system has failed for some reason okay. that I've talked about, and your your brain wakes up before your body does. So you're awake in a way, but you can't move. Yeah. That's and that's what exactly what it feels like. And it's very scary because you can't move. And something that's associated with this a lot is visual or audio hallucinations so people get the feeling like there's something in the room with them or they hear things or they see things have you ever had that oh yeah specifically uh, well audio and both visual um now the 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 audio is is like uh you're kind of screaming but you you can't really hear it but it's it feels like you're screaming or something like that and then the the visual yeah i've seen like I was going to say I've seen a lot of old hags on top of me in the bed, but <laughs> let's forget I said that one. <laughs> Have we used that one before? Was that, was that a hag there? That was a hag here. That's spooky. That's spooky. There's a lot of folklore associated with this. So, I mean, there's a lot of cultures where people believe it means there's some kind of demon or ghost actually sitting on top of you. And it, it's called the, the old hag because there are some cultures who believe that it is some kind of a witch or uh, sometimes a, a succubus, you know, like a female villain mm-hmm. or a female demon who's like actually sitting on top of you, holding you down or even choking you, kind of like in the story. So. It's, it's still like, it, it's really an awesome, awesome story. It's though. a great story. I like it. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Do you have another story, Chris? I, uh, well, it's, it's it, a lot of these stories tend to not be stories in the typical way that we may kind of tell stories so there's never really a start middle and end my house would have been built on the homes where these workers uh, for the gunpowder mills would have lived and in they're kind of, it's kind of like Napoleonic era mm-hmm. uh, yeah from what I can tell it early was 19th century I was there recently look, and I was reading all the posters <laughs> that's right that's right yeah yeah and uh, we, we've unearthed a few creepy things in the back garden like crucifixes and uh, from that time yeah, yeah. Wow. and it's uh, scary stuff, all right. But my my sister, who um, she she's always uh, uh, she's a big fan of the paranormal, 
particularly X-Files that scared the crap out of me as well. But um, she mentioned she was back out at her house one time and uh, she was out the back garden and uh, she reported seeing a face in the top window when she was all alone <laughs> in the house there. Um, a face looking out the window and I know the window and that's, that was my bedroom at the time and oh, like, she, no, she told me about that now. Scared the crap out of me. And uh, uh, just after she saw the face, her dog started like barking at the window, which like our dog never ever does, or never ever did. Funny enough, the uh, same same dog met a, a, a grizzly demise in her pond, but uh, maybe that might be associated. Who knows? Yeah. But yeah, uh, I mean that's the the story that my my sister always tells, and. Uh, it never failed to creep me out when, whenever I was on my own in the house. Whoa. Maybe there was uh, one of these gunpowder melons workers lurking, looking for his crucifix. Yeah, and you have the, the historical background there as well, because you know that... Did you say that the house itself was built out of, like, bits of the, the original buildings? Oh, yeah, well, um, yeah, I mean... I mean there, there would have been certain blocks left there. I mean, I can't imagine there was a whole lot left there. Certainly there would have been a lot of stuff. And the strange thing about the gunpowder mills is, like, isn't it, like, if you think of it as, like, a gunpowder mills, it's not really a creepy place, but then a lot of people who might have uh, been be in touch with these uh, um, paranormal um, occurrences, they might say, like, well, like, think about the amount of lives that were lost as a result of the gunpowder that was manufactured here. Yeah. I can put a pretty bleak look on the, uh, the place, but uh, I'd recommend anyone to go down there. It's, yeah, uh, it's, a, it's a lovely park, and it's also got, it's a very historical, and it's a bit spooky, actually, because there's a lot of buildings from that era that are now kind of swallowed up by the forest, and they look kind of eerie and mysterious. That's true, and, and there's even a cemetery as well that is a little bit difficult to find next to my house, and that has all manner of, like, uh, creepy... Uh, headstones of like British soldiers and, and stuff like that in there we saw uh, the skull and crossbones on a, on a gravestone once and as kids that was obviously like <laughs> the most terrifying thing we've ever seen in our lives there you go so that's my story from the, that's great. the gunpowder moons okay I have a story and this comes from a family I know very well and actually this is about a haunted house Chris. And a haunted house uh, yep a haunted, house. A haunted where, house where have I heard about a haunted house before <laughs> I don't know what that sounds like. That was somebody in the bushes because we're, <laughs> of course, are in the campfire now. So this this haunted house I've actually been to. I've, I've oh. been to it a couple of times, yeah. And I remember as a, as a child I heard this story. This story is kind of like folklore within the family who owned the house. Uh-huh. And um, I, I've been there. It's in the west, in the southwest somewhere. I'm not going to give any too many details about this particular happening because it involves real historical incidents that are kind of gruesome. Yeah, yeah. And the the people involved requested that I remove all all details out because actually the people who live out where this really happened um, just don't talk about it and don't like talking about it and don't want anyone to know where it was. Ooh. Yeah, true story. That's uh, that's the sign of uh, a true happening. A true happening. There you yeah, go. A true happening in a small in a small village anyway. Where definitely not a happening in the seventies sense of the word. No, <laughs> that, that's like a good happening. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, the information I've got from this comes partly from people from the family who 
who were good enough to talk to me about it recently. My own memory of being there over the years and being a little bit chilled by it as, as a young one. And also a certain document that was compiled by somebody from the family many years ago who did some research and read the original newspapers from the, from the era and got lots of really good information about it. Mm-hmm. So she says, she begins the story in her document by saying, my father inherited a rectory from a relative when I was a child. So this is the, the building in question. The, the family still own it, and I've stayed there a few times. Now, she had bought it from the Church of Ireland when she retired back to Ireland, so the, the Protestants, basically, uh, who would have had a, you know, a particular uh, social place in, in rural Ireland at the time. I've, I've, se- I've seen photos of the rectory, actually. Uh, I've, I've searched it out, and it is... A, it's a spooky it's a, building. It is, yeah. It's a bit nicer now than it was back then. There's two staircases or so, I've yes. been told, which is not what I would like in my house. <laughs> People can sneak up on you. Yeah, yeah. It's, in, in fact, they had a small... It wasn't, it wasn't a rich area, and the, rectory, the rector wasn't rich, but he was because he was kind of upper class, he, it was expected that he would have some servants, and it was expected that they would not move about the house in exactly the same ways that he would, so there was a second staircase just for the, for the help. Mm-hmm. Which is a kind of a, like a Downton Abbey kind of in miniature type of situation. Right, right. So uh, this the one of the members of the family continues and says we were always told about the story of the rector who had shot and killed his mother there, back in the mists of time. The place was haunted, of course, and the sound of the haunting was the sound of coach wheels rolling in the drive, which was the rector and his mother returning from a drive. There had been a mass said years earlier to rid the place of its ghosts, an exorcism was performed. But one of the bedrooms was still called the ghost room. Mm. I remember this from being a kid. I remember seeing the ghost room when they would talk about this as as a real thing. This was said to have been where the murder happened, or where the mother slept. The details were hazy. And even since I've been there, their ideas of where the various things happened have changed. So when I was a kid, they believed that the murder happened in what they called the ghost room, which was an upstairs bedroom. And supposedly that's where you could hear the sounds of the rector returning with his horse and trap. But they now believe that the murder happened in the downstairs room um, where, the, where the, the pantry and the kitchen would have been at the time. Sometimes we even doubted that this story was true. How could a story like that leave no trace beyond the sentence, a man killed his mother in the house? The family also believed that there were bullet marks visible in the floorboards of the ghost room, but that they couldn't be seen at the time anymore because they were covered up by a carpet. Remember that too. So the the family member continues saying, "I never saw a ghost personally, but one visitor to the house one visitor to the house once who didn't know the story said he woke one night to see a woman sitting at the edge of his bed." No. Now, this was a, a painter who was a house painter who was brought in to do some work on the house, and who apparently of his own accord, not having heard anything about the the ghost, uh, asked the family if there was anyone else in the house or if there was any ghosts associated with the house. Jeez. Yeah. So, again, supposedly seeing someone else come into the room at night. No, like, if I was that painter, I wouldn't be asking the family, oh, is there anybody else living here? <laughs> I'd be just like, I saw somebody in my room who was standing at the bottom of my bed, what the hell's going on kind of thing. So, I'm going to... Now, a very young member of this family, Reese, this is an additional note on the story, who would was not even dreamt of, I think, when this report was written, um, under an under five child basically report again with the children seeing things mm-hmm. uh, apparently asked her mother recently while in the rectory uh, if there was uh, who was the one, the other woman who was in the house or the woman who was in the kitchen I think was what she said 
and there was not supposed to be anyone else in the house at the time. Oh, no. So again, we have spooky, spooky kids seeing spooky things. Yeah, it, it, I mean, I guess that could be explained the way as like kids having imaginations. But what do you think? I don't know. I mean, yeah, I've been reading. Like I said, I've been reading a little bit about kids and and their kind of slightly precarious take on reality, and and you know how everything is is mixed up in their head between rea- you know actual memories and just kind of imagination. It's it's very hard to know. Mm-hmm. So. She, uh, this comes with an extended document of the history of the event that she looked up, and it, it's all real. It was a real murder. I'll give you just a few details here. Uh, it happened in 1893. Uh, a 27-year-old rector shot and killed his mother at the rectory. He was he was found guilty. And for a few more details, um, it says, on the day of the murder, there were four people in the house: the victim, her son, a servant, and a young girl who occasionally helped the servant. Uh, the rector told the servant that morning to send for the doctor as his mother was not well. A few hours later, however, the servant girl passed him on the stairs and he told her that the doctor's services were not required. He said that she had died and that he was going out and would return some time later. He then basically made a break for it and made his way to the nearest town and was arrested at a following hotel, at a, near, at a nearby hotel. And um, most of this report concerns itself with a document that was written to give information about the court case and to try and make the case that he was insane. And there's a lot of weird details about kind of what he was like and how unhinged he was. Oh, man. Yeah, so it's really quite natural that kind of spooky stories would would grow up around this historical happening. And in the village in question, there, it, this is still talked about and still kind of a going concern amongst locals. Oh, dear. I stayed in this house one time years ago when I was a kid in the middle of a, a spooky thunderstorm. Oh, yeah? Yeah, and... What, uh, what made this, the thunderstorm spooky, by the way? Just being trapped in this spooky haunted house at night in the dark <laughs> with the wind howling around outside. And, yeah, hmm. I remember yeah, being a little bit freaked out. Mm. Okay. Well, speaking of like local happenings, uh, not far from here. In fact, I, I just took you uh, past there on the way to the campfire here, uh, Kim. Uh, we, we passed by a tree that is known locally as the hanging tree. Wait, no, it's not the hanging tree. It's the shaking tree. I. It may possibly be the hanging tree as well. Who knows? But uh, yeah, apparently there were some um, a few priests uh, hung from this tree uh, in. in not so recent times, I would imagine. Uh, I've been given no direct dates as to when these hangings would have taken place. And apparently they say that the tree shakes. But then I was like, well, it doesn't... Well, even on the calmest of days, the oh, tree shakes. Oh, that's that was how the, it was phrased. That was yeah. the detail that we received yeah. recently. Yeah, I was a little bit confused because, I mean, every tree shakes, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> you have to have something to... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Even on the calmest day... Which, which there aren't many of those around here. No, if anyone knows the, sea. The, the wild Atlantic way. <laughs> TM. Yeah. TM, of course, yeah. Um, so, I think that's a, that's all my story. I mean, I've gotten a few stories that are s- sort of similar on, on what we've touched on, like a lot of hag stuff combined with, uh, I would say, kind of a coincidences, you know, someone dying the next day after seeing the hag. Oh, um, that's that's interesting. I've never heard that take on it. It's kind of con- like the banshee almost. Yeah, yeah, that's right. What's, I mean, 
I suppose I've always heard of the Banshee from, you know, what was that, Darby McGill and... Darby O'Gill, yeah. And the little people. <laughs> but, like, you mentioned, like, there, there's several families or something that... There are certain Irish families, including the Kennedys, and I know for sure because there were a lot of weird stories going around in the 1960s about, you know, John F. Kennedy and supposedly his family were affected by this curse, being, being of an old, respectable Irish family, but the story goes that... You know, you hear the banshee howling or screaming uh, when someone is close to death, someone from that particular family. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> My own thought about this is, have, have you ever heard a fox howling at night? Yeah, I isn't have, especially the, around these parts. Isn't it the creepiest thing ever? It's awful, yeah. That's, that's not one, is it? No, no, that's... But you can look them up on YouTube and... It, it sounds just like a woman screaming. Yeah, it's... Uh, I'm pretty sure that's where the legend comes from myself. I Yeah, yeah I'd agree. I mean, it is a blood-curdling. <laughs> if, if <you laughs> We only get to use these uh, adjectives once a year, so we might as well throw them <laughs> out. Busting them out, like... <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so, yeah, but certainly the, the fox is a pretty um, creepy uh, entity. So I have a final event or report to talk about. Okay. And it, it's, I'll precede it by a little bit of a song. Chris, do you know the song Johnny Jump Up? It's a Cork song. Johnny Jump Up. Yes. Ever heard that? I, yes. Well, I remember we were talking about it on our field trip. Our, yes. So Johnny Jump Up is a Cork song uh, from some point in the early 20th century. I believe it's a folk tune. If anyone knows that, that it has a particular author, please let us know. But as far as I know, it's just an old folk song. Mm-hmm. And it's it's about a, a type of cider that was made at the time, and was a lot was made in whiskey barrels. So it was oh. apparently famously potent. The song chronicles the adventures of this guy who's traveling around to various places in Cork, and meeting people who are having a sip of this cider, and then like various bizarre and miraculous things happen as a result. So there's a verse that says, "I went up the Lee Road, a friend for to see, and they call it the Madhouse in Cork by the Sea." But when I got up there, the truth I did tell, they had the poor bugger locked up in a cell. No. And they're making reference to a spooky old, now-abandoned Victorian asylum that sits on the north side of the River Lee on a hill, frowning down on the rest of the city. And yes. this, you can see this very clearly from my house, so every time I leave my house, I'm looking down a hill into a valley, and on the other side of the valley, this big, crumbling Victorian Gothic edifice is staring down at me. So always wanted to know a little bit more about it. It mm-hmm. is undoubtedly one of the spookiest places in town. I would say even further than town because um, I suppose Ireland can be, sometimes be associ- associated with a lot of kind of parochial chimponess, you know, <laughs> leprechauns and that. And sometimes we kind of fail on a lot of the, the, the big creepy stuff like you might see in kind of old crumbling cities in Russia yeah. and, and the States and those sort of ghost towns, but this is like... This is up there. Yeah, this, this is, is the real deal. Yeah. So it's it goes under various names around the city. People often call it St. Anne's or St. Kevin's mm-hmm. or Our Ladies. Yeah. Uh, the, or Our Ladies is probably the, the most correct name for it. Basically, there were different wings built in different eras. Okay. It is one of the longest buildings in the country, if not the longest. Yeah, I would say so. Um, no question about it. And uh, so people, the reason people have different names is because the different wings have had different names over different different years. Now, when it was built, it was known as Egg- Eglinton Asylum. 
and was built originally to house 500 patients. Now, this was back at a time when, you know, mental health consider considerations were not great. It was basically all those horror movies you see about, like, Victorian doctors and asylums, you know, imagine that happening. And oh, sadly, there's a lot of evidence to show that things weren't that much better right up until the 1980s when it shut down. There were a lot of damning reports about bad conditions and stuff that preceded yeah. this facility shutting down. So originally, it was the largest of seven district lunatic asylums, as they were called, commissioned by the Board of Public Works in the late 1840s. And this information I've got from a blog, I just want to make that clear, it's called Harrowing by Name, Harrowing by Nature. It's kind of a goofy name, but it's worth looking at. The article on Our Ladies is really good, has a lot of good photographs of the site. In, in addition to that, while you're mentioning it, it's probably worth mentioning, uh, if anyone wants to see, like, really, really good photographs of this place, uh, Abandoned Ireland, is that yeah, yeah, the website? Yeah, they have a good article about it. Now, their, their website is a little bit fiddly, so to see all the images, you might need to kind of, like, mess around with it. It's like a, a bit of a 2002 kind of website. <laughs> uh, it's not. It's not really updated yet, but do have a look. It, it's petrifying. So, uh, the institutions. The institution was styled as a corridor asylum. So that means that, like, it's it's got these long corridors flanking the central towers, pretty much, and it's very spooky for that reason. Some of it goes underground. There were underground passages connecting the different wards, and each it, with an emphasis on wards rather than cells, and they changed their style. Uh, the, the building department to gothic. So when you think about spooky Victorian buildings, mm -hmm. the style of architecture you're probably thinking about is what we call neo-gothic, which is kind of mid to late Victorian. You know, they're imitating these medieval uh, cathedrals and stuff with towers and, you know, sometimes uh, really, really elaborate touches like, you know, gargoyles and stuff. Right. So it looks a bit like that. It was designed by a local architect called William Atkins, and, yeah, it's almost 1,000 feet long, so one of the longest buildings in the country. And Atkins used Glanmire sandstone. Oh. Yeah, and limestone. And it says that the elevated site overlooking the River Lee appears to have been chosen by the local governors rather for dramatic effect rather than practicality. And named after the Right Honourable Earl of Eglinton, who was Lord Lieutenant of Ireland. And they opened first in 1852. Now, the main part of the building as it is now, that original part from the 1850s, most of that has been renovated into apartments now. Mm -hmm. And the later portions, the more late Victorian ones, are more red brick. They're slightly less ornate, but they're still really spooky. Those are the parts that are currently abandoned. And mm -hmm. technically, you're not allowed to go into them. But, uh, People do. We, we went up there uh, for a little, little, little look-see. Yeah, and, uh, there was there was a, a Swedish camera crew up there doing something. I don't know what they're doing, <laughs> but um, oh, we 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 got a little bit lost, and we actually found ourselves by accident in uh, the place where we shouldn't really be, um, and we had a look in. I'd say like, if anyone does go up there, just be a bit careful, because uh, you may get lost like us and end up in the wrong place. And uh, the place is uh, well, half of it is made into apartments, so it's just fine. And the other half is like terrifying, like terrifying, terrifying. And we, you can't actually get too deep into the, the complex anymore. Um, but as I said, Abandoned Ireland does have some excellent photographs of the inside. I did get into the, the, the distant wards 
years ago, but I can't remember how. And it well, it was by accident, surely, as well. Yeah, and I can't remember exactly how. We, we didn't go there recently on our recent trip, but I have seen the inside of it before, and it's, it's yeah, there's a gloom. Yeah, isn't there? Especially the underground, the long underground tunnels. Did you, were you telling me about a story you heard about uh, all, all the security guards for this particular uh, wing? Or, yes. Yeah, they, they all, for whatever reason, decided... Yeah, so this this story comes from a, a blog post. Now, whenever you look up online about like all haunted stuff going on in Cork, everyone mentions this building. But actually, almost nobody has a specific story about mm-hmm. a haunting. It just it just seems like a spooky place, and it's abandoned, and it's easy to see from you know a lot of the city. So everyone always thinks of it. Oh, it's got to be a spooky haunted place. There isn't any a whole lot of actual specific stories about it. This was one of the only ones I was able to find, and it comes from a just a post on a on a blog from maybe four or five years ago. But I thought it was a pretty good story, and I kind of feel like you know blog posts and stuff. I mean, this that's like a more modern version of folk tales, anyway. Yeah. You know, I mean, how do these spooky stories get around? People telling stories, and the, the, the modern ghost is standing at your bed asking for Wi-Fi. Yeah. So here, here's how the story goes. This guy says he worked in security with people who do security down there, and he himself refused to go back there. He says everybody knew the stories about the place, so a certain security company got a a Polish guy to work there uh, because this new guy knew none of the history of the place. Now, to me, that's a a common trope in in ghost stories. It's like, you know, some local spooky place where all the locals won't go there. So, Mm -hmm. you know, to get the story going, the main character has to hire someone from far away who might not know the story. That's kind of common. So this, he says this, was a, this guy was a big man, he loved his gym and was and working out and was not afraid of anything and was skeptical, skeptical about ghosts. But the story goes that he was on a 12-hour shift in a part of the building that they had made into an office for the security company uh, next to where they stored all the old stuff from the place. It was full of lockers. Uh, they, the author says he witnessed this room himself. It was basically a load of clutter. Now, this guy was three or four hours into his shift and decided to doze off, but it was woken up by scratching noises. So he got up and checked out the room and was walking down the corridors, and he swore blind that he saw a person walk into a room right in front of him. So he started saying, hey, you shouldn't be there. The guards are on the way. There was no way out of this room besides the entrance that he had seen him go into. So he walked in behind him and found that the room was empty and the windows were blocked. Now we've been there. We've seen that most of the windows are, are covered up in that part of the of the building. There was no way he could have got out. He said it was one of the old rooms where the padded cells had been. And he left straight away to go back to the office and called the patrol van to come and check the place out. But his phone was all messed up; it wouldn't even turn on. So he had to go to an apartment at the back of the house to contact the patrol driver. And the same guy refused to go back there uh, ever again, despite not knowing any of the history of the place. Oh man! Yeah. So I told that story to Chris as we were wandering in this spooky, deserted building. I did not like that at all, one bit. No, and um, no, I, I'd love to see the inside of the place, maybe during the daytime. Because, <laughs> as we all know, going to somewhere at nighttime at twelve midnight is the scariest thing you can do as a kid. <laughs> <laughs> do we have other stories, Chris? Other stories. Um, there was a story we heard about the, um, <laughs> depending on where how it's framed, it, it can just like seem like a super silly story about like 
getting hungry. <laughs> oh, the hungry grass. The hungry grass. Yeah, that worried me out when I was a kid. So there, some parts of the country have a have a legend about places that are haunted by spirits of the famine in the 1840s. Mm-hmm. And it, there were spots called the hungry grass. And the idea, the notion is that they were mass graves from back in the day when people were dying in, you know, their hundreds. And the authorities would just open up these holes in the ground and push all the corpses in and cover them up. And the idea is that now they're grown over and they look like fields, but if you walk across them, you will be afflicted by the, the starvation and the hunger that they felt. It's so powerful that you will fall to your knees and be weak and mm-hmm. unable to walk off the grass. So there are various place names associated with this. So Hungry Hill, there are places okay. named Hungry Hill around the country. Yes, yeah, there's one near... There's one in Cork City, isn't there? Near Glanmire? That's true, and I think there's one down here uh, on the way to Bantry, somewhere like that. So a pretty widespread legend. Yeah, I I, I wouldn't mind going and try it out. (laughs) Have a sandwich in your pocket, just in case. (laughs) That's what they say, isn't it? You bring breadcrumbs and you avoid the the hunger. Did they mention that you just have it with you, or you you have to scatter it onto the grass as a peace offering? Just just have it in your pocket. Just have it with you in case you get stricken with the hunger. Yeah, that's right, that's right. Uh, any other kind of creepy stuff? Like I was looking at the website, there's tons around Cork. Yeah. Of, like creepy things. Most of them are just like, right, okay. I was kind of interested in collecting stories like from people we knew, yeah. so we could at least, so that it was more than just a random happening. Mm-hmm. There, there is a, a cemetery near here, where uh, two uh, soldiers were buried, as far as I know and they're both buried in the same grave and uh, well, well basically the the grave cracked open and it's categorized as uh, like a walking dead story Whoa. Um, so there's so a stone on the tomb or whatever it was, like was cracked and all the efforts made to repair the cracks were like unsuccessful and oh. kept on cracking and that's around here somewhere um, but then it could just be a stone cracking, who knows. Okay, to wrap up, Chris, I'd like to just briefly touch on something which is like kind of like the cousin of, of ghost stories, I would say, mm-hmm. and that is urban legends. I like those too, I like following them. Yes. So an, an urban legend is, is kind of like mo- anything that you might classify as modern folklore, that is, stories that people actually believe and pass on to one another, but mm-hmm. actually when you look into them, they're unverifiable or they seem to have no real <laughs> truth behind them. <laughs> and the common phrase that they usually start off with is, oh, this happened to a friend of a friend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember when I was in college, a story went around that p- p- people in a particular nightclub in the city were being, and I won't mention it, were being attacked by someone who was using hypodermic needles that had, oh, pe- like, HIV in them. So I looked that up, and it's it's an old one. It's an old legend that's done the rounds in various parts of the world for 20, 30 years. I've heard of that happening in Kilkenny as well. Yeah. Uh, some guy spitting on people who yeah. was infected. So not always ghost stories, but something a bit creepy. And then like people pass it on from person to person, but actually there was nothing to it. Yeah. Nothing ever found about it. Do you have any particular urban legends that come to mind? Urban legends... I mean, there was all the usual ones growing up about, like, you know, looking in the mirror and saying Bloody Mary. Oh, you had that one? Three times, yeah. Oh, I never had, I, I, like, I know it now, but I never heard it when I was a kid. Okay. Um, I, Urban Legends, let me think. Nah, 
So uh, I think I'll finish with something that ha started as an urban legend and has now grown to insane proportions and became become real. And it's, it's reached our own shores. It has here. reached our own shores. Is this ridiculous clown epidemic? Yeah. Uh, to give a very brief spin on this, it seems to have originated in North Carolina in, in August. And right. it started with one little town mm -hmm. in a housing, not housing estate, that isn't quite the right word for what they have over there, more like a, a kind of a, a low rise, I suppose you might call it, next to a woodland. And some kids started telling stories that someone dressed as a creepy clown was trying to offer them sweets and things to go into the woods. Now, police were called and interviewed everyone and decided that there weren't any, probably weren't any real clowns happening, and it was I just mean, kids telling weird stories. Yeah, no, why would, like, if someone was trying to lure kids away, why would them dress as a creepy clown? Yeah, exactly. So, you know, whether or not it, there was anyone actually doing it, it was just a kind of a one-off. Mm -hmm. But because it was highly publicized in social media, it started happening in other towns in North Carolina. Other kids started telling similar stories, and then it started happening in various other states. And last time I checked it, it spread to something like 22 or 25 states. That's right. Uh, and then I got call. I, I heard word only a couple of weeks ago that it had spread to Canada. That's uh, a creepy clown. Yeah, and at this point it seemed to have become a real thing because people were actually doing it for real. Uh, you know, people were basically buying clown costumes and just, like, hanging around, scaring people. Mm -hmm. There was a riot in Pennsylvania State when hundreds of students got worried over Facebook that there were three clowns on campus, and they picked up their pitchforks and their torches, and they just went nuts and chased chased them till they were arrested. Yeah, a few people have been arrested for doing it. There's been a few really scary ones with people jumping out in front of traffic and stuff like that. I know, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I, I've heard similar. And now it's across the Atlantic. There were cases in the UK, quite a lot of them. Yeah, there's now a guy dressed up as Batman. Oh, really? Chasing away all the clowns. <laughs> <laughs> this is kind of cool. Well, I've heard there's been, like, Facebook groups for, like, anti-clown vigilante stuff going on. Oh, yeah? Yeah. The ones in the UK seem really sinister because they've been, like, uh, you know, getting on school websites or, or social media and saying that they're going to like go and terrorize people in schools, and schools have like shut down because parents and kids are scared about this. Jesus, it's really getting out of hand, and it's been spread largely by social media with people like Stephen King like actually coming out and saying, "Here, lads, this is like getting out of hand." <laughs> you, know, you know, a man who is primarily responsible for many people's ideas about clowns being scary and yet there have been some cases in Ireland as well Oh, there's pictures of a guy at the spire in Dublin doing it and actually one of my neighbours told me that he saw some kids doing it last week he was driving through town and there were three young hooligans I'm sure it was probably very traffic and one of them had a clown mask on half assed no, yeah, it yeah. sounds like I mean he didn't have the full costume he just had the mask ah, yeah. so Chris I'm thinking that as it's nearly Halloween we've got to be approaching you know, peak clown <laughs> like <laughs> surely Halloween has got to be the, the end of it that's right yeah I, I, I don't know hopefully I don't know do you hope you see a clown I kind of don't I, I'm worried that someone is going to get hurt either especially in America someone's going to get shot like because everyone is so riled up about this that's right. Uh, there's a video going around, and I, I don't know if it's real or if it's staged, but this guy is being a clown in in London, and he's annoying people, and he annoys like the wrong guy who basically bottles him oh. and knocks him out. So someone is going to get really I like, especially the guys who are like jumping on cars and interfering with traffic. Yeah, yeah. someone's going to get hurt. And 
No, it might be best for our listeners to stay inside this Halloween and <laughs> not go Not to be out. spreading the panic now. That's right. And I have a special surprise for you, Kian. Oh. We'll, we'll spend about five minutes on this, but if you are staying inside this Halloween and you want to wanna trek out for fear of, of clones, 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 clown clones, clown clones, we have a selection of horror movies to suggest to you. So I'm going to give half of the half of the bundle to uh, Kian, and uh, we're, we're going to have a quick uh, go through them, and uh, maybe these might inspire some um, some. Uh, <coughs> oh no! I've seen some of these. <laughs> so and, and maybe uh, our listeners might be interested in in uh, looking at some of these. So. Uh, the first one I have up here, it looks very scary. It's called Jurassic Croc. Jurassic Croc? Is, is that one of those... Is it an asylum movie? <laughs> an, an asylum movie? Mm, yeah. Yes, it is. <laughs> I knew it. Oh, wow. <laughs> the whole of Los Angeles is put on red alert when a giant reptilian creature is <laughs> spotted headed straight for its shores. Kill or be killed. <laughs> It's got a giant crocodile in front, I'm sure it's terrible. This is from the, from the fine studio, the fine people who brought you Transmorphers and other classics. I know. God. Okay. All right, I have here a copy of the original Evil Dead. Oh. Which, yeah, yeah. That's that's highly recommended. That's I actually highly recommended. This is an actually... It's it's part effective horror movie from the 1980s. Is it from the 80s? Uh, yeah. And it's it's half kind of goofy. It's It's definitely the least... Goofy of all the Evil Dead movies because the director Sam Raimi was very much into uh, the Three Stooges, and as this series went on, he got less interested in the horror and more interested in lead actor Bruce Campbell hitting himself over the head with plates <laughs> because his own hand was possessed, and then fighting legions of animated Ray Harryhausen skeletons. But this mm-hmm. original movie is actually kind of creepy and effective by yeah. comparison. I would uh, definitely recommend if you've that. seen if you're younger than we are and you've seen Cabin in the Woods this is the movie that kind of typifies the stuff that movie is commenting and satirizing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. next up we have Night Angels Night Angels picks up where the deer hunter and apocalypse now left off so uh, speaking of leaving off <laughs> uh, okay Tom and Lewis, army buddies who have drifted to New York, suffer psychotic reactions that force them to rape and murder unconsciously. I'd say... Sounds kind of grim. Yeah, leave that one where it is. <laughs> Got a creepy man Sounds on the cover. Sounds exploitative. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm looking at Bloody Wednesday. I've never seen this. It says... The news hit the airwaves. A lone gunman armed with a submachine gun has just walked into a crowded California... Re- no, this sounds kind of grim too. Yeah. Yeah, that's not okay. Don't go, don't watch Bloody Wednesday. That's probably not appropriate <laughs> for post. Not for not for 2016. What I would recommend is James Cameron's Piranha 2. <laughs> I bet he leaves this one off his resume. <laughs> <laughs> Flying Killers. It's called. Um, let's see. Uh, terror breaks loose in the Caribbean when two scuba divers investigating a sunken ship are attacked and killed by a shoal of piranhas. Soon it's discovered that these piranhas can fly and are as lethal in the air as they are in the water. Uh, yeah, sure, give it a go. It's James Cameron. Okay, well, you're going to get two for the price of one on my next, <laughs> my next <laughs> entry because it's one of those fantastic uh, two DVD film horror pack jobs. 
Uh, the first one is called Don't Ring the Doorbell. Oh. Do you remember in, uh, what was that thing called? Do you remember when Tarantino made those two movies stuck together? Grindhouse? Yeah, yeah. Do you remember the fake ads in the middle? Mm-hmm. Do you remember one of them was just called Don't? Yeah. And it was like, don't go into the house. Don't go into the basement. Don't. I, like, I read a review where he said, like, or an interview where he's, the director said, like, What's with all those weird 70s horror movies that, like, didn't want you to do things? <laughs> this is probably one of them, because it's called Don't Ring the Doorbell. That's all I have to say about that. The second one is called Eat and Run. Oh. Now, I do know this because this came on a, one of those awful packs of, like, 40 horror movies in one box that my brother and our, a friend of ours bought in college, and they bought it with the assumption that one of them would watch 20 and the other one would watch the other 20, and then they could compare. And I remember my brother was out, and my friend who actually had watched all 20 of his 20, uh, he was really angry that my brother was out. But the one he liked most was this movie Eat and Run, and the thing he liked most about it was the tagline, which says... This is the story of a 400-pound alien who eats Italian. Not the food, the people. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Yep, so that's all you need to know about that. Oh, man, okay, now we're just on to... Uh, well, this is a classic in our circle here. Uh, this is Boggy Creek 2, and the legend continues. Whoa. The most feared inhabitant of the backwoods has returned with a vengeance. Uh, it's pretty much set in Texarkana in the, the southern states. Uh, a near fatal aquatic encounter leads to a, a, a yeti uh, Sasquatch or, man get your some call him Bigfoot Sasquatch or yeti uh-huh. but in the deep dark woods of Texacana he's known as the legend of Boggy Creek <laughs> and now Charles B. Pierce who directs it he's uh, yeah, put together a pretty like funny movie not scary I remember when I was a kid I thought that Texacana was a made up place because it sounds like he just <laughs> Texas and Arkansas and just stuck them together. Yeah, that's right, yeah. But it's probably like a county or something. Isn't there like a, a Fleetwood Mac song that mentions Texarkana? Oh, no, there's a... It was down in Louisiana just about, That's the... Uh, uh, it's Credence. Oh, is it? Yeah. yeah. Okay, there yeah. you go. Uh, so, yeah, it's a... This kind of actually is a, is a historical document because this is the first bad movie that we like deliberately bought because we thought it would be funny because it was bad. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's if you've been listening to the podcast, you'll know where that went. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, my last entry is is the Night Flyer from the King of Horror, the King himself. of Horror, Mr. Stephen King, Mr. Anti Evil Clown. This is from a short story that I read as a kid in a, one of his books of short stories called Nightmares and Dreamscapes. Oh, yeah, and it wasn't really a very good one. All I remember about it was that there is a scene in the book where this basically this journalist is is trying to find. A vampire who flies a small Cessna airplane around to, to reach his victims, and there's a scene where he goes into a bathroom and he can see in the mirror that like the guy is peeing and the the urine is like hitting the bowl, but he can't see where it's coming from because the vampire has no reflection. And that's how he catches him. That's the kind of details that Stephen King likes to put in there. He's really interested in bathroom scenes. Yeah. So yeah, that's the point of this movie. It's a vampire who has a plane. <laughs> that's kind of the whole point of it. We watched this years ago. It's not we bad, though. Need, yeah, it's fine. It's like, fine. I didn't feel like it had a lot of good material to work with. I didn't think it was a good story. But no. the movie is, is okay. Yeah. yeah. I mean, could have been executed better, surely. But well, no, because I think the original idea wasn't very good. I mean, I think the movie did as well as anyone would. Sure, with this okay. not okay. particularly great idea. But the tagline is good. It says, <laughs> Evil has a flight plan. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's right. Uh, I would also suggest maybe Stephen King's The Langoliers for Ooh. a bit of creepiness. Like yep. So is that all the time we have at, around the campfire? That's all the time we have. Okay, I guess we'll wrap up. I'll say thanks for listening. Thank you, and have a have a great Halloween. Tell us about any clown sightings or ghosts. Yeah, anything sightings. weird that happens to you, get in touch. And yeah. we managed to make the whole episode without, at any point, calling it a, a spooktacular. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but there was some spooky interference when we were getting started. But yeah. <laughs> some, we, we suffered some EVP, some electronic voice phenomena. Yeah, yeah, probably just my 10-year-old computer being <laughs> ghost okay. in the machine. Bye-bye, stay scared. <laughs> that mouse is not connected to the laptop. <laughs> <laughs>